0: Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Schools. So excited to be here with Trisha, and our special guest today was Dr. Offner, who Trisha is going to talk to a little bit, talk to us a little bit about. Uh, but today we get into the mental health of schools as well as the mental health of students. Trisha, how are you today?
1: I'm doing well. Happy New Year, Jeff. I I really like that we're kicking off the new year with this as our topic and and thinking about you know. Taking care of ourselves, taking care of our community, and getting some real guidance around what that means. Um, you know, Doctor Offner is going to talk to us a little bit about how important it is to listen, how important it is to be clear, um, and that really resonated with me. She kind of talks about just, you know, if if you're having, if you're if you were in crisis mode, Jeff, you know, I shouldn't just assume what it is that you would need, but like let's have a conversation and, and learn exactly what you would need in that scenario. Um, So yeah, it's, it's, it's a real pleasure to be talking with Dr. Deborah Offner, who is an adolescent psychologist who has 25 years of experience working in schools, colleges, and clinical practice. Um, You're going to have links over there in the show notes. She's been in the Boston Globe shape all over the place. She works with adolescents, young adults, and their families in her private practice and consults with middle and secondary schools about student mental health. Her brand new book is titled Educators as First Responders, A Teacher's Guide to Adolescent Development and Mental Health in Grades 6 through 12. And listeners, if you are interested in winning a free copy of that book, we have two to give away. You'll learn more about that giveaway when you sign up for our free newsletter, which you can access at www.shiftingschools.com.
0: Yeah. So make sure you're signed up for the newsletter. We have a great conversation today. Everything from the mental health of your schools. How are we taking care of each other as an educational community of adults? And then we get into what does that look like for students today and supporting students' mental health, uh, as we know that this is something that many teachers are, are dealing with right now. So this is a great episode. Before we get over to that interview, a quick word from today's show sponsor. A huge shout out to our sponsor Money Pickle for supporting our podcast. If you're new to the education profession, first of all, welcome. And now that you're here, have you thought about your financial future as you embark on this rewarding career? Money Pickle offers complimentary financial assistance where you can speak with experienced advisors to guide you through investing, saving, and planning for your future. Start your teaching journey with financial confidence. Thanks to Money Pickle, head to moneypickle.com slash shifting schools today to sign up for a complimentary, no obligation video call with a financial advisor that is picked right for you. That's moneypickle.com slash shifting schools. Get your finances in order and reach out to Money Pickle today. That again is moneypickle.com slash shifting schools. All right. And with that, Here is Dr. Deborah Offner, PhD, talking about mental health in both our schools and with students. And with that, on with the show.
1: We are honored to be kicking off our mini-series on mental health with you because you have such a wealth of experience advising educational institutions on sustaining emotionally healthy schools, and we think actually it might be great just to start there um, with kind of like a, a basic grounding on what an emotionally healthy school is and maybe even talk a little bit about what it isn't.
2: Yeah, that's great. Um, so an emotionally healthy school, I, for me, starts with the adults. It, because if the adults aren't healthy, and by that, I don't mean that they have work-life balance. I don't mean that you know they're well compensated necessarily. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an environment where adults feel like they have some autonomy, um, some input into important decisions that are made or at the very least that there's some transparency when decisions are made that may not include faculty or staff input that people can be told you know this is what we considered; these were the factors we weighed and this is why we're doing x instead of y i think one of the biggest complaints i get from teachers is that they're not in the loop and that they don't know why things are happening and that they don't have input so i think adult communication is important and that runs the gamut from systemic issues and decision-making, like I said, to also like um, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging issues in the sense that if you want a school where the kids feel like their identities are respected and understood, um, you the adults have to be able to have conversations with each other about those things um, in order for them to then support the kids in those ways. So there's a lot of like parallel process, where if you want the kids to feel supported, you've got to support the adults. And some of that is free yoga classes or a raise or, you know, a babysitting voucher or something like that. But a lot of it is talking and communicating.
1: I I really appreciate that. It it reminds me of, um, I saw a study recently about what's uh, kind of popularly known as the feedback sandwich, where it's like, if I had to give you some tough feedback, like, oh, you know, uh, actually, Dr. Offner, like, what a beautiful smile you have, by the way, here's this bad news. And also, uh, did I mention your smile's great? And the research talks about like, don't do that. Like when you have to give feedback or you have to have a difficult conversation, like actually the transparency piece and kind of like trust your conversation partner, like, you know, treat adults as valuable assets, which I feel like is what you're getting at there too.
2: 100%. Because I think as the adults who work in schools, we know the kids are valuable assets and it's our job to make them feel like that. But a lot of times that can get lost when it comes to how you treat adults. So if you're a school leader, you want to remember that you have power, you have authority and adults are vulnerable also. I think the COVID-19 pandemic kind of showed us that in bold relief, just how vulnerable the adults are.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you know, in oh, schools, yeah. we're vulnerable adults. We've got very vulnerable students. And your, your book is a real asset. I, I'd love to just quote from it for a moment. And again, listeners, remember, uh, hang in there until the end to learn a little bit more about a, an opportunity to win a giveaway. Uh, from your book, quoting you directly here, quote, virtually none of us is trained in how to respond to crisis, at least not routinely. But sticking to some basic tenets can provide purpose and direction as you are called upon to help students and families in your midst. The job here mostly comes down to listening. Dr. Offner, can you talk more to us about this idea and, and maybe just unpack a little bit uh, of, you know, one of the tenets that you recommend um, and, and this idea of listening and how that's kind of the anchor here? What does that mean to you?
2: Yeah, so I think as a, a trained child psychologist, I know that listening is one of the most important interventions I do. You know, it's it's the crux of any session I have with a student. Um, I think what I know as a human and as someone who's worked in, in schools and with many kids is that most people don't necessarily have the experience of being really fully listened to by someone who is trying to understand them. That's why adolescent therapy is so rapidly effective Because when you have a therapist who can do that, that in and of itself is an intervention. So I think Mm -hmm. in a crisis or in a moment where you're like, I can't believe this kid just dropped this in my lap, or I can't believe this parent just called and told me X, I'm not a therapist. I don't know what to do. I'm a math teacher. If you can listen and view your role as simply being present physically, you know, emotionally, staying steady and taking in information and gathering data about what these people are going through or might need, not necessarily just from you, but from your school, Um, that in and of itself makes a huge difference. And you don't necessarily have to do a lot more than that. Um, The other thing that my book encourages people to do is to call on colleagues, whatever their domain for the kinds of expertise and help that you might need, whether it's a counselor, whether it's an academic administrator, you know, that you don't have to solve it and you don't have to fix it or even know what needs to be done. But you can connect people to services and and other people.
0: Hmm. Are there specific questions or like I'm just trying to put myself in, in back in back in the classroom when, yeah. when these situations happened, you know, when you're trying to gather information because I think that's a really good way to put it, you know, um, you're listening you're listening to somebody uh, and just allowing them to be heard. Are there are there from a teacher perspective are there specific questions or even question stems that we could be thinking about to support? Uh, people just being able to know that we are listening and that we're hearing them.
2: Yeah. I mean, sometimes you can ask people to just, um, organize or frame their thoughts. So saying something Mm. like, you know, what's your foremost concern here? Or, um, you know, what's the thing that you feel the school could help with the most, um, you know, sometimes I'll ask a kid, what's your, what's your worst worry here? Like, what's your worst case scenario in terms of what you're telling me? And can you sort of just let me know so that I get a sense of where you're coming from and what you're sort of living with? Um, there's a middle mm. school counselor that I work with a lot down in Florida, who's really lovely. And often what she says to a kid is after they, you know, come into her office and they're, you know, talking about friend drama or some other, you know, even more upsetting thing in their life, you know, she'll just kind of sit back and take it in and then say, um, how can I help? Mm. And often kids will have, um, you know, something that they can
0: volunteer for a way that she could be helpful. Mm. And okay. do you find a lot of times it's not a big thing? <laughs> I yeah. I mean, a of lot of times, <laughs> a lot
2: of times with kids, it's right. It's little, things, yeah. you know, yeah, you yeah. asked my history teacher if I could get an extension, you know, for two yeah. days, you know, some of yeah. these kids, they're so hyper conscientious or worried about their grade yeah. or making a bad impression on an adult, you know, that there's, uh, there's a lot we can do as adults in schools that like we actually have a fair amount of power. You know, I yeah, have a counselor. Right. I can get kids out of something, you know, not that I want to abuse it or have them sort of exploit it, but, but often they're so relieved that you can just do this little thing for them. You're right.
0: Yeah. 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 I'm wondering, Yeah, my how- wife is a, a a school counselor for 20 years. And I think that was always one of her greatest gifts as well as, you know, kids knew they could come to her and she could, quote unquote, get them out of something. (laughs) She's not getting them out of, she's not getting them out of anything. You know, it's going to just talking with the teacher and saying, hey, this kiddo's having a hard time with this or whatever. Because, you know, in education, educators are just we, we want to help kids, you know, and whatever that means and, and whatever that is. But it's, I you know, I think you hit the nail on the head when it comes down to actually listening to what they feel they need to be supported. Yeah. Um, and listening is such a critical skill. Sorry, Trish, I cut you off.
1: No problem. No, I was just, you know, thinking the advice that you're giving, Jeff's right. You know, teachers want to support the students, but I think also teachers want to support one another and i'm wondering yeah. if you feel mm. like there's a significant overlap between that advice you have for a teacher supporting a student in a crisis and the reality um it, you know my my wife is a school leader fairly recently one of her teachers had a spouse pass away and you know was really thinking about what is it going to mean for me to support my colleague you know really in mm-hmm. in the, the really for the rest of the year um and i'm wondering you know, it's this idea of a crisis. It's not limited just to the students, but it's our it's our colleagues. Yeah. It's a whole community, right? So, um, do you do you think it's sort of this advice really applies more broadly, or would you make any adjustments to what you're suggesting we can do for one another in a crisis?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it. Um, is the same, you know. Obviously, like the details of it are different, but I think, yeah. I also at the school where I work had a colleague lose a really close young family member, you know, this fall as well. I mean, it it certainly happens. I think, you know, definitely listening, definitely picking up on what an adult's boundaries are, you know. And I mean, the mm-hmm. same goes for kids, right? I mean, there are some adults who are going to want an ear and want someone to talk to and want to share, and there's other people who are like, I just need to come in do my job and go home and grieve, you know? So it's like kind of picking up on what it is that they need, not expecting them to do anything performative in terms of talking or sharing, but letting them know you're there. Also offering practical support, the getting them out of things, you know, if someone is dealing with a, the, a loss, you know, um, and it would just help them. Can we take something off your plate? You know, is there something, some administrative task or some, Meeting, you were supposed to lead that we could just make things a little bit less demanding for you here. I think, you know, as I'm sure your wife knows, that goes a long way too. And not everybody feels comfortable asking, or they don't even know that's what they
1: need. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. And yeah, I, I, I think that, that that boundary advice thing, I, I, like as I've gotten older, I feel like I've almost learned through failure about that? Like check first, don't assume what I need is what somebody else would need. So for maybe a younger school leader who's listening and is thinking, I love what Dr. Offner just said about like, yes, respect that person's boundaries. But if you don't know, What are some good ways to ask? Like, you know, do you have a way of framing that conversation so it's not, I'm not operating on this assumption, even though this is what I would want, I'm not going to impose that on you. How do you do that investigation of finding out what the other person needs?
2: Yeah, I think, again, to be super transparent, I mean, I could see a conversation where you say, I think if I were in your situation, I might want to, you know, talk after work and go out for drinks for like three nights in a row and just, you know. Um, I don't know if that's what you want. If it is, I'm, I'm happy to join you. Um, but what do you think, you know, um, what can I do or what can we, you know, our colleagues do that would be most helpful? And, and then, you know, it's sort of in saying what you would want, but acknowledging they might not want it, it opens up the possibility that there's no wrong answer, and that mm. you're really looking to, like, is there anything we can do to support you right now? You know, um, I think that goes such a long way. I think a lot of people also in the face of something like a loss, you know, that you're describing, they don't know what to say um, and mm. they feel sort of awkward. And so some people avoid the person. Some people overshare their own experiences, you know. But I think, I mean, again, as a therapist, asking questions is always a good way to to go in.
0: Mm. I like that. And around the idea of appropriate boundaries, I mean, we are hearing from uh, teachers all over the place about just mental health with students today. And I think there's this, this idea of just helping teachers who are struggling with what are the appropriate boundaries around necessary support when students are facing mental health. And so how can educators kind of balance their professional responsibilities that I am your teacher I'm here to teach you math. <laughs> I'm your math teacher. But at the same time, have that emotional aspect of supporting a uh, student well being. How do how do you kind of support teachers or any thoughts about helping teachers kind of with those those appropriate boundaries of, you know, I I I I want to be your friend and I want you to know that I'm here for for you. Right. But at the same time, I'm your teacher and we've got a job to do.
2: Yeah, exactly. And and I think, you know, in a way, even the idea of being a friend, like, as much as it may feel that way like you're not you yeah. know and I, even yeah. if kids think you are want you to be pretend you are you know um and that doesn't mean you can't be super close and connected and caring and i think you know all of us have different personal boundaries so just like the example with grief where everyone d- deals with differently some of us you know well i shouldn't put myself because i'm obviously a psychologist but some teachers love being that emotional support person. And they yeah. love, you know, for example, my old school, the ceramics teacher was just this amazing woman and, you know, kids would come into her studio and they'd be throwing pots and who knows what they would bring up, you know, but she would right. often come running down the hall of my office and say, this kid just brought this up while they were throwing a wheel. You know, what do I do? Um, yeah. You know, so some people love being in that role and other people like they don't want to know, you know, like, you have a mental health yeah. issue, like here's the counselor's, you know, office location, yeah. like goodbye. Um, you know, so I think you have to, like any of those are fine. Like it's fine to be really open and connected and, and want to hear about a kid's weekend. It's also fine to not. Um, mm. I think the problem that I see with boundaries and teachers and student mental health is that it's a slippery slope where mm. a kid might confide in you after class that they're going through a rough time. And then the next thing you know, you're getting an email at midnight that they're feeling like suicidal, you know, so right. so I always encourage, again, as a psychologist, teachers to refer whenever you can. It's not that if a kid starts crying about a quiz grade, you have to send them to the counselor. But if, if yeah. you sense that there are mental health issues, or you start to learn that there are to try to, you know, do you ha- have you ever been to a therapist? Oh, you already have a therapist. Oh, okay. You know, mm-hmm. how you know is that, how's that going? You know, do your parents know to kind of, bring other adults in, even to the, you know, in the conversation with a student so that you're not the one, you're not the only one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I I would say we're very fortunate here Mm -hmm. in the state of Washington that we now have school counselors in every school, um, you know, to support that. And I wish, I wish that was the way all everywhere in the world, uh, and especially here in the U S and I know it's not, but, uh, you know that ability to be able to lean on to lean on somebody or know that you have somebody backing you up as a teacher yeah. that that is a trained professional school counselor, psychologist, somebody else that you can lean on to support, to support these kiddos. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think it's critical as well. So, um, and besides that, it, who, who would be your next part? If you don't have a school counselor, if you don't have a psychologist that's there every day, cause they're only there one every five totally, days or whatever totally. school set up. Is it an administrator? Like what do yeah, you, I mean, what's your recommendation? I mean, you
2: know, every school is so different, but, um, uh, there's yeah. often an administrator that is a student support person. Um, you know, either by training or by personality, you know, like sometimes in a school, there's just someone that's like a good, wise go to, maybe they've been there for 30 years, and they've seen everything. So always, you want to be conferring with someone else, if you have Mm. a real concern about a student. The other thing I say, too, is, you know, don't forget, especially those of us that are working at the high school level that um, students have parents, um, I think mm-hmm. it's really easy for, especially because kids often forget that they have a parent or that's <laughs> not who they're sort of that that not right. their go-to. A lot yeah, of kids right. it is. Um yeah. but to remember that there is another adult, you know, in most cases, someone who is responsible for that kid's well being and may love them deeply and actually have a lot to offer. And so to just mm-hmm. kind of gently inquire to find out what that relationship is like and if it if the parent is a resource.
1: Yeah. You know, I I appreciate you bringing that up. It reminds me of, you know, I'm seeing more great school leaders do some surveying to get a sense of, do you have a trusted adult in your personal life? Do you have at least one teacher here at school you feel you could speak to, to make sure, you know, they kind of have that profile. I think that's really great, especially, you know, if there is a, a crisis situation for school leaders who are thinking, Maybe we need to ask some better questions at the beginning of the year or to check in so we Mm -hmm. have a sense Mm -hmm. of what the support network is. Um, As an adolescent psychologist, is there any other sort of question asking or curiosity or data that you think school leaders should be Mm -hmm. going after to get a sense that's going to help them better support uh, student well-being? Yeah. I mean, I
2: think there's things you can learn. I mean, like you said, whether they have a trusted adult, you know, who would you go to if, you know, you were in a crisis? Um, I would want to know, um, and maybe you said this, you know, do you have a parent or caregiver that you, Can rely on if something were to happen. Um, I would also want to know as a school leader, how many of my kids and families are engaged with mental health professionals outside of school? You know, that's just an important Mm -hmm. data point in terms of how much are kids accessing therapy? Because in some communities, it's incredibly common. And it would be good to know if half the kids in ninth grade have their own therapist or if nobody does, you know, and if they do or don't, why is that? You know, are people in a situation where they can't afford it or nobody has time available? That would be. Important to know it might affect your ideas about you know potential staffing or you know accessing additional resources, um, or again if a lot of kids are connected that that could become a go to as well for kids with issues that oh a lot of these families can get their own support outside of school maybe we can sort of help people to do that.
1: Yeah. And I'm wondering too, like your thoughts, Jeff does so much work around some generational differences. And so I think this is another area, you know, like for my parents and I know my dad wouldn't mind me sharing this anecdote, you know, like retiring, getting older is difficult for years. You know, like I'm of a generation that very much kind of thinks like therapy is very useful. There's not as much of a stigma for my parents' generation. You know, there was a lot of discomfort around that. So it took... I would almost say like years of a campaign. Um, and now, you know, I, I, think he's sort of realizing, yes, it's just like when I have to go get physical therapy, right. You know, it's the mind body connection, all of that. So I'm sort of wondering, um, for your thoughts in terms of, do you think, do you get the sense that that stigma is being broken down or are you still having to do that kind of conversation piece with, um, parents, caregivers, teachers?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. It depends who the people are. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'd say like overall, I mean, Generation Z is very, you know, therapy savvy. They've got TikToks about it. They're seeing therapists on TikTok. Um, The kids, I mean, so yeah, today's kids are very um, open to therapy. You know, every kid I know is, and I don't only know kids through my practice. I know kids through schools. Um, Parents are a mixed bag. um, And part of it is culture and background. So Um, I would say that um, there's some plenty of cultures in the world Then some of those families are here in the US for three years or 20 years, um, you know, depending on when they came, where it's really not the sort of typical thing that we see with the American culture about therapy. So, you know, um, with some Asian or Asian American families, though, by no means all, um, there's still a lot of stigma, even in not in the kids, but in the parents who are in their 30s or 40s. you know, some African cultures, um, the parents, you know, it's mental health just isn't, it's almost like not conceptually relevant. Like it's, it's not, you know, and so, you know, kids will say to me who are in high school or college, you know, yeah, my, you know, my parents, like mental health isn't a thing in my parents' culture, you know? So I think it really does depend on almost more the cultural background than the age, but on the whole, today's kids are all about therapy and, you know, they don't even blink an eye a lot of times. They they don't seem to feel stigma about it.
0: Yeah. And I I would probably second that, you know, just uh, with my wife being, uh, again, a school counselor for 20 years and working internationally for 10 of those with all these different cultures. A lot of times it was spending time with the parents to understand what does a school counselor do because of as soon as they heard that their child was talking to a school counselor, it was like, you're not allowed to talk to my child. You know, and it even was just breaking down the, okay, I'm just talking to your child. We're not, they're not in therapy. They're not, we're just yeah. having conversations about grades or where they're feeling stressed. And a lot of it was, I agree with you. I think there's probably more cultural stigma yeah. than there is generational stigma. Um, and there still is generational stigma for sure, Trisha. I mean, my dad would have been exactly the same way. There's just no way you would have ever got him to go see a mental health person, right? Um, right. But I do find it that I, I agree with you. I think that it's probably more culturally like being culturally aware that it's not not every culture sees it the same way. Yeah. But I think what we what we are doing, I mean, you can say whatever you want about social media, but I do think this is one place where social media has supported a generation yeah. when they are seeing and kids are openly, and you mentioned TikTok, openly on TikTok saying, I'm going, I'm getting help. Yes. And when you see other kids your own age saying publicly, I'm getting help. You, you know, it's okay for you to get help too. We are breaking down those stigmas for a generation. So,
2: yeah, uh, a- I
0: find that really interesting. Right. Know.
2: That's a beautiful thing. I agree.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Some beautiful things of social media. It's not all bad. Exactly. Well,
1: um, that's maybe a nice...
0: Kids, the way these kids share.
1: That's maybe a nice segue to, you know, of course, link to your your new book in the show notes, but you've been in the Boston Globe, Shape, Care, sort of all over the place. Um, for listeners who are maybe checking out some of your work and thinking, doctor offner Hoffner's got like some great stuff. We'd love to have her in, work with our district or, or school. What's the best way for folks to reach out to you to maybe explore options to learn Further, or to do a book club, perhaps with you in 2024.
2: Yeah, totally. That that's exactly the kind of thing I love to do. Um, so my website, so it's Um Or if you Google me and just write Deborah Offner PhD, I will come up with the website. There is an uh, famous um, actress with my same exact name and spelling. Um, and so you will get two sets of pictures um, and I'll just say that hers are you know, far more dazzling uh, than mine, um, but you'll find me easily, but you'll also see that she has a whole bunch of movies that she's been in. Yeah.
0: So you're, you're not, the not the movie one. I'm
2: not the movie one. I am not I am not I I don't live in New York on Central Park the way that she does yeah yeah yeah.
1: (laughs) well that's a fun doppelganger to have for sure well thank you so much for for sharing your advice Um, really enjoyed your book and again like continuing to think what is an emotionally healthy school I think that's a great question for us to kick off the new year with thanks
0: thanks for thanks for being here and thanks for uh, for uh, spending some time with us today thanks
1: so much